Hey there, listeners. Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian. I'm on the phone with Ashvin. And today we are continuing our fifth annual sequel, September, with a discussion on A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master from 1988. Directed by Rennie Harlan, written by William Kotzwinkel, Brian Helgeland, Jim and Ken Wheat, and it sounds like kind of Rennie Harlan a bit as well. Starring Lisa Wilcox, Robert England, Danny Hassel, and Tuesday Night. In this film, in the fight against Freddy Krueger, the torch is passed from the dream warriors of the last film to a new group of teens led by a new heroine. If you're new to the show, we're going to discuss spoiler-free background info on this movie for the first 15 or 20 minutes, but then we're going to take a little break and play some transition music. And once you hear that music, you should duck out if you haven't seen the movie because we're going to do a spoilerific plot walkthrough and review the film. Shout out to Big Turkey, who has been drooling for this film to be covered by us for years now. He thinks it's the best movie of all time. And we are finally covering it. Of all time, like not just the franchise? You know, he's probably exaggerating his how much he loves this movie, but he really loves this movie. You don't uh, like think he's being sarcastic in, in that, do you? I don't think so. I mean, okay. I think it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but I think he sincerely okay. adores the movie. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Uh yeah, so this is the fourth film. We've discussed the first three on the main channel, I believe, right? Those were all main yeah, episodes. I think so. I think we did Dream Warriors last September for sequel September, which feels like not a year ago, but it was. Uh, and this was directed by Rennie Harlan, who directed Die Hard 2, Cliffhanger, The Long Kiss Goodnight, starring Gina Davis, Deep Blue Sea, and Exorcist The Beginning. But this was really his first big break. It sounded like... Sounds like he was down on his luck and basically begging New Line to let him direct this film, and they they finally let him do it. Um, <laughs> this, this is a big. Oh, let, let him is a is a funny. Yeah, fine, you can do it. <laughs> yeah, That's the way they presented it in the the documentary called Never Sleep Again. Oh, okay. It seemed like they were really desperate to. They they had like a real hard time finding a director for this. I thought it was like their last uh, choice. Basically. It did seem like, yeah, and they had started filming some scenes without a director. Right, right. They're a, a strange bunch in some ways. I get the impression Robert Shea especially is. Mm. Just hearing the way some people talk about him, he sounds like a unique dude. Okay. Um. Anyway, where was I going? Ooh, something gossipy. Rennie Harlan, so he directed... Uh, the Long Kiss Goodnight with Gina Davis. He married Gina Davis for five years. Cool. Um, we, our second Gina Davis marriage we've discussed because she also was married to Jeff Goldblum from The Fly. Right. And she divorced him shortly after her personal secretary gave birth to Harlan's child. Oh, wow. That's Isn't a very that great sign just to, of a marriage. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. <laughs> Yikes. So yeah. That, that was before uh, Jeff Goldblum? That was after Jeff Goldblum, I oh, believe. Okay, okay. Yeah. Damn. Um, this movie, beloved by Big Turkey, only has a 53% critic score and a 43% user score. But at the time, it sounds like the critics, when it was released, were pretty high on it. At least that's the way the self-interested Never Sleep Again documentary talked about it. Like, hmm. most critics were into it. Roger 
Ebert was into it, I think, even. Um, or maybe that was Evil Dead. I'm getting... Whenever we do two <laughs> in the same night, I get confused. Yeah. But my impression is most people thought it was, like, pretty solid. But that Rotten Tomatoes score is so low. I don't know if that's after the fact or if maybe it wasn't quite as beloved by critics as... As, yeah, we're as being presented. Yeah. Yeah. So you said 58%? Right? 53%. Oh, 53%. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which isn't and, horrible. I mean, it's almost to the fresh realm. But <laughs> Wait, where does fresh start? Like 70? 60. Oh, 60. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the audience score, uh, sorry, I missed that. What was it? 43. Oh, wow. Okay. Again, terms. not quite in alignment with how it performed because it was in first place at the box office for its first three weekends in the theater. It was the highest-grossing film in the franchise at the time. Freddy vs. Jason topped it. Um, the remake in 2010 also did more money than that. But it was a budget of $6.5 million in it. Pulled in $49.4 million in the U.S. alone. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, it was considered a success, and it kind of jump-started Rennie Harlan's career. It was the 19th highest-grossing film of 1988 in the U.S., so mm-hmm. for a fourth slasher film to be in the top 20s, that seems like a big deal to me. Yeah, yeah, that, that's awesome. Especially, so this is like a year after Part 3. I, I always wonder with uh, these franchises, when you look at the return, uh, especially when it's so close to like the previous installment, is a lot of the success due to the success of the previous one, building the hype for the next one, or do you think you could like attribute it to like people actually coming out because uh, there was something about this film that they wanted to see? That's a really interesting question. I feel like we've wondered that before. Is the and is the performance, the financial performance of the next film, right, more a reflection of the <laughs> critical thinking on the last film, or even the yeah. you know the critical thinking from the everyday fan? Yep. Like, did yeah. everyone go out to see the Dream Master because they love Dream Warriors? And not as many people went to see the Dream Child because they're like, "And eh, Dream Master kind of sucked." <laughs> yeah, Dream Child only made it like twenty-two million, so uh, there was a dip there then, right? Yeah, that's a dip. That's about half. Yeah. So what do you, I don't know. Yeah, what do you, what do you think? That's a really good question, man. I I think that uh, I don't know. I I don't know what to believe about how this film was really received at the time it was released. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's like, yeah, how much promotion went into it and stuff. I, I guess there's other stuff than just the previous film that, that weighs into how many people show up for the next one. True. Promotion, for sure. And time I of think, year. What's that? Oh, time of year, like other releases. Right. it's up against. Yeah. And just saturation a bit. Like, I feel like the late 80s, people were getting just overwhelmed with the slasher sequels and the, we've talked about 1978 to 1984 being the key era of of slashers like the slasher boom so we're past that now and in the late 80s we just get a lot of these trailing sequels to slashers and by the 90s they almost dry up most of the big three franchises have like one or two films in the 90s sure yeah right so yeah maybe just saturation it was overdone and people were over it yeah diminishing returns yeah because they they this is the point of the documentary where they talk about the documentary I keep referring to is called Never Sleep Again on the, the whole franchise. Yep. But they talk here 
in the documentary about how Freddy was everywhere. He was like a doll. He was a guest, like a punchline on Johnny Carson. He he was just bleeding into pop culture way more than you would ever expect a child molesting murderer (laughs) (laughs) to bleed into pop culture. Yeah, I saw a quote by this director uh, about like his opinion of what Freddy was, that Freddy had become like a James Bond of the series, uh, and that, that the audience like kind of roots for him, uh, which, yeah, I, I, I haven't gotten that impression like three films into this. Have you picked up on that? James Bond is a weird thing to say. <laughs> I think what he was essentially trying to say is Freddy is like the main character now. Yeah. And people root for him a little bit because they know he's going to dispatch a whole bunch of useless characters. I don't think they want the final girl to fail, but I think they want to see Freddy kill a lot of people. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, Which I, I think that's fair at this point in the franchise. Yeah, yeah, that's what he does, right? He comes and kills a bunch of people. So, so yeah, you, you kind of know what you're getting. Yeah, and I think Dream Warriors had really set the tone for how the movies would be going forward. Like, we mm. can't... This one really especially leans into it where, like, we can't make Freddy scary forever, and now he's becoming a bit more well-known for these elaborate kills and his one-liners and, (laughs) like, you know, just the shit he says. Sure, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) The wacky things he says. Yeah. Uh, And then I've heard uh, this film called, like, the MTV Nightmare of the Franchise. Uh, Any idea what that means? Yeah, another thing they kept saying in the the doc that I didn't quite know what it meant. I think it was just meant like it had become very popular and part of pop culture, mm. and it became a teen phenomenon. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Or even yeah. a even a phenomenon with kids. Sure. Yeah, and they, I guess maybe that's what we're seeing in the box office numbers. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, there's nine films in the franchise. They had put out one every year of the 80s since 1984 except for 1986. That's incredible. What a pace. (laughs) Yes. Nightmare. The original was 1984. Number two was 85. Dream Warriors was 1987. They took their time with that one. Then the Mm -hmm. Dream Master in 88. The Dream Child in 1989. Then a couple years before they picked things up in the 90s with the final Nightmare in 1991. Wow. Yeah. And then there's a few more but I, I won't read them all. But you got to wonder, too, like New Line, they were a struggling film production company, and this thing was their bread and butter. Mm-hmm. So I can see them being like, just push out a new one every year, film some scenes. We don't even have a director yet, but just film them. Like, they're just pushing these forward. Right, right. And aren't they competing with, like, Friday the 13th at this time as well? Which is, I yeah. think, another studio, And Halloween. Right? And Halloween, oh, Okay. Yeah. Uh, in Friday the 13th I, I thought uh, Friday the 13th though had like way more sequels than Halloween right like in this like uh, limited no- time like in the 80s yeah Friday the 13th was coming out more fast and furious than Halloween was more frequently right right yeah, yeah. Uh, and that wasn't New Line I don't think right no I always get the studios confused I know I know a lot of other people are a bit more in tune with what studios do what yeah oh, yeah who oh, does man. Friday the 13th uh, people are shouting yeah <laughs> you can hear them <laughs> I, I think I actually can yeah <laughs> uh, Paramount I guess Paramount yeah. Warner Brothers and then it came under New Line Cinema later on 
at some yeah, point. Yeah, I, I do think that, yeah, there was some sort of merger or something. I, I've never been one to really pay much attention to which studios are doing what, but yeah. I, I guess I better. I have a movie podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, but I, I, that, that makes sense because you have the Freddy versus Jason at some point, so it must have been at some point before that. Right, right, to unite the two properties. Yeah. Um, special makeup effects showcase in this movie. I, I think it's hard to deny. Um, John Carl Beekler, Howard Berger, Kevin Yeager, just a few of the names that worked on the film. Um, yeah, some recurring, the only real recurring actor was Robert England. Um, they wanted to get Patricia Arquette back to play Kristen, who was the main character in Dream Warriors, but she did not return. And instead, Lisa Wilcox, no, I'm sorry, not Lisa Wilcox, Tuesday Night was cast to play mm-hmm. Kristen. So... A little bit awkward when you start the film with a character who is looks different but is the same character. And she even at one point says like something where she's talking to herself, like, keep calm, Kristen, which is just like a way for the audience to know, <laughs> oh, oh, this is Kristen. Kristen. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Uh, wait, th- that wasn't the, the, the only uh, carryover character, Robert England. Uh, oh, that's you- true. We got Kincaid and Joey who, who came back. That's true. Right, right yeah. from part three. Yeah, very true. My bad. Um, and the woman who played Kristen's mom is the same actress. Oh, oh, okay, nice. So just forget everything that I said. <laughs> Kristen's mom, and this is hilarious. <laughs> uh, let's see. What else we got here? Uh, oh, the, yeah, I, I thought it was interesting that this movie uh, came out during the writer's strike of uh, that was going on at this time. So you have some lines in the film that are made up by the actors and actresses on the spot. Right, and some scenes that were just Rennie Harlan's idea to oh. include in the movie. Wow, yeah. Specifically, a dog peeing fire, oh, yeah. <laughs> notably, <laughs> among others. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that scene. Yeah, it's kind of funny, and I, I almost feel like it's in a little bit of bad taste for us to cover this movie right now because it was kind of made, not with scabs, but like, they're doing some of the writing right. without writers, so. Yeah, I, f- I forgot, like, in previous writer strikes, like, the actors and directors and stuff would still uh, come to work. I think this one uh, right now is unique in the fact that actors are also sitting out. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, it was both a writer's strike and a WGA strike and a SAG strike. Yeah, right, right. We haven't talked about it at all on the podcast. We haven't, yeah. I mean, uh, how, how many months into it are we? It started earlier this summer? quite a while i think the writer's strike might be like six months in wow yeah right uh by the way if you if you uh want to support the the creative community you can donate at entertainmentcommunity.org which is a 501c nonprofit charitable organization that helps the entertainment community and people can apply there for emergency financial assistance and stuff i know a common theme is like oh these actors are making millions of dollars but like you know, the production assistants and every every person's name you see on the, the end credits, they are not rich. This is right. their job. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's kind of crazy to be on strike. Uh, for the, I'm sure that takes a toll. Yeah, for sure. It's getting concerning how long it's taking. Right, right. Yeah, also, also worried about, like, the future of uh, content. Yeah, I know. Not good for the podcast either. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, okay, any other background info worth uh, discussing? 
Uh, you know, um, I think that's mostly what I had. Uh, I, yeah, just the casting of Wilcox. Um, she was supposed to be, I think they were going for like a Sigourney Weaver type of a person who like you don't expect to be uh, very heroic at the end and then becomes heroic. So it would be interesting to talk about her character in, in, in the context of what they were trying to go for. But uh, yeah, that's all I have. Yeah, sure. And there was something where they said they auditioned 600 actresses. Wow. That's the type of shit I read, and I'm like, no. No, you didn't. <laughs> you don't believe it? No, I don't believe that. How All could right. you audition 600 people? Yeah, yeah, sure. There's a lot of lore in the, the entertainment industry, I feel like. Even <laughs> in watching that documentary, people were contradicting each other, and it's uh, just like... yeah. Uh, how, how much can you believe about any of this? <laughs> That's true. It's the 80s is a wild time. Yeah. Uh, okay, man. Well, you ready to hit the Ohio Connection and, and get into the plot? I'm ready. Let's do it. All right. Ohio Connection, as always, comes from our friend Alex, who owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio. If you're in the area, swing by Jukebox for great food and great drinks. He connects every movie to our home state of Ohio for us, and he says, A Nightmare on Elm Street 4... The Dream Master is a fantasy slasher film and the fourth installment in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. The film was directed by Rennie Harlan and stars Robert Englund as Freddy Krueger and Lisa Wilcox as Alice Johnson. Wilcox is an actress and formal model and designer best known for her role in this film and its sequel, A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. In 2009, she appeared in the web series Fear Clinic, distributed through FearNet.com. Wait, just FearNet. But there was a... No, I'm confused. Is there a movie called Fearnet or Fear.com? I'm thinking of Fear.com. Alex just oh, yeah. wrote distributed through Fearnet, and I will just shut up and leave it at that. The series comprised of five of five webisodes and also starred Robert England. Fear Clinic was ultimately adapted into a feature film, with filming taking place in late 2013 in Medina, Ohio. Oh, cool! Pretty close right to near, right yeah. near where we grew up. Right, yeah, especially nice. where I grew up. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Good connection there. Hey, uh, before we jump into the plot, though, uh, you, I, yeah, I just want to make uh, it known. Freddy is like one of your favorite villains, right? Yes. Yeah. To set the stage here, if you're a new listener, I'm a big fan of the franchise in general. We reviewed the first three. Ashvin has disliked all of them. Thinks thought, Freddy is ridiculous. <laughs> I think I thought like three. It was. Uh, I, I turned around on it. I think I you may have jo- given a positive review to three. Yeah, yeah, I like the three where they're going with that direction. Um, just setting him apart, like as we talk about slashers in the 80s. Um, he's so, got a hat. Yeah, he still has a hat. <laughs> it's a unique move. He talks. Um, but uh, yeah, the fantasy element that uh, you just mentioned in the How Connection, I feel like that wasn't like uh, like ubiquitous in, in slasher films, right? Like that's, that's pretty unique to this franchise. Yeah, I mean, Michael Myers and Jason, they really are all supernatural because they are pretty much unkillable. Sure. And we get some fantasy-type elements in, what, the seventh installment in the Friday the 13th franchise? right. Um, But really, yeah, Freddy is unique in that it is surreal. It is surreal. Yeah. (laughs) That's a good way to describe it. Yeah, it's interesting because I... uh, the uh, fantasy uh, to me, like yeah, I, I hear you're saying that, uh, those other two are supernatural, and supernatural to me and fantasy are two very separate things. Uh, mm-hmm. Where like fantasy, I feel like is less scary, and supernatural is just more. Uh, you can't explain it; it's just like very frightening. But sure. um, what, did you delineate those two at all? No, I think that's a good delineation. I, I think 
fantasy to me usually is kind of a whole other world that follows its own rules. I hesitate to call this fantasy, but I guess so. You know, you got the whole dream world and the rules of how that works. Yeah. I think that's been the challenge for me with this franchise is I do feel like it leads into fantasy with like the production elements and and the lighting uh, that we've seen throughout the uh, thing and, and and then just Freddy's disposition. Uh, yeah, I feel like fantasy that word kind of captures what we see. And this whole idea of like playing around in dreams, which like the last one set up that like you even have people who can do it, right? Is that that's what happened in Dream Warriors? Yeah, people who can like pull other people into their dreams and yeah, yeah, right, right, yeah. Interesting. Okay, that's it. Yeah. Uh, okay, man. Well, let's walk through the plot. We're going to spoil everything, everyone. So go. I think you have to rent this movie, unfortunately, if you want to watch it. It's not streaming anywhere. Um, but we're going to spoil stuff. But before we do, um, do you mind if we take a quick break? I'm a little sleepy. I think I need a quick power nap before we keep going. Oh, sure. Yeah, go for it. All right. I'll be right back. All right. Hey, man, I'm back. Hey, feeling any better after that nap? Yeah, I'm feeling much better. And, you know, I actually had a, had a dream about this guy in our neighborhood who's really tall and has a full, thick head of hair. And <laughs> I murdered him in the dream. And now I'm noticing that, like, my microphone's sitting a little bit lower than it used to. And I think I got some new growth going on up on Whoa. my scalp. So <laughs> things are looking up for your old pal, Brian. Yeah, damn. Wow, good for you, man. I'm excited for these changes that are about to come in your life. Me too, me too. If only he was yeah. really good at the nunchucks. Yeah. <laughs> then he'd have all three things down. <laughs> then I'd, I'd be there. a triple threat. Yeah, exactly. Tall, has hair, knows how to use nunchucks, <laughs> can't be stopped. <laughs> uh, okay, so the film opens with a quote on the screen from the book of Job from the Bible that says, When deep sleep falleth on men, fear came upon me, and trembling, which made all my bones to shake, then the spirit passed before my face, the hair of my flesh stood up. Or something like that. That's that's <laughs> one interpretation of the quote. I can't remember if that's exactly what's displayed on screen. But It doesn't end with or something like that. <laughs> or something right. like that. Yeah. <laughs> that I didn't want to re-rent the movie to see the quote, and so I just Googled. I wrote down the first part of the quote as I was watching. And then, oh, it, this movie's streaming on HBO Max. Is it really? Yeah, I think all the Why night. Why did I rent this are. movie? Oh, yeah, they just came out. Something yeah. in my head was like, it's not available, and I think I rented it. Ah, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. We, should, we really should have said that before the break. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if anyone hung around, yeah, that's the, way, yeah. That's the place to go. Uh, Boy, I'm yeah. not getting anything accurate on this episode. <laughs> uh, speaking of, you're not someone who likes text at the beginning. I, I didn't think, I, I thought this quote was interesting, but what did you think? Uh, sure, maybe. I, I think that if it was really trying to do something or it mattered maybe but i just don't think we need it yeah so the film then actually opens with our main character Kristen from dream warriors she is inside a dream where she has entered nancy's house um from the first film the franchise of course it is not the Kristen we know from dream warriors she's been recast and uh let's see she is concerned 
with this dream that Freddie might be coming back. She sees a whole bunch of creepy stuff in the house. She goes down in the boiler room in the basement. So she summons Joey and Kincaid from the last film, Dream Warriors, into her dream. And they show her that the boiler in the boiler room is cold. There's nothing to worry about. The next day at school, they they warn her she should stop messing around with the dreams and assure her, like, look, we beat Freddy. Let's just leave well enough alone. Freddy's dead. What did you think of this whole setup here? You know, I I liked uh, the, the the visual aspect of it, like the house of uh, of uh, from the last film that she's walking through. Uh, really cool setting. Um, and then, yeah, I'd totally forgotten that she can pull people into her dreams. Uh, so that was a nice way to kind of remind you like, oh yeah, she has this power that can pull things. Uh, thought the dog that attacked her was really dumb. Like I was like, wait, can this dog, uh, do the stream thing too? But what did, did, did she summon the dog into the dream or something? What, how did that happen? Yeah. I think that Kincaid, when he dreams, like his dog is in his dreams with him. Oh, cause I'm pretty sure I'm... his dog's later in the junkyard with him. Oh yeah. Right. Right. Oh, so he just takes his dog wherever he goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. But it, I think yeah. it served to illustrate, like, oh, she woke up with a bite on her arm from the dog. Like, that's significant. Right. And then the next day, Kincaid was just like, well, yeah, you pulled my dog into the dream. He didn't know what the hell was going on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I think this worked as, like, a good way to recap what happened in the last one, but, like, not, like, especially scary or anything. What, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of eerie when she goes into the house and we've got the, you know, the stereotypical girls jumping rope and all white singing the one, two, Freddy's coming for you song. Sure. Um, yeah, yeah, nice to hear that in the beginning. And uh, I liked how they were like drawing with chalk on the sidewalk. Uh, that, was, that was a cool visual too. Yeah, yeah, just a little eerie. Yeah. Um, unfortunately that night, Kincaid has a dream that he's in a junkyard fighting Freddy. And although he puts up a good fight, Freddy gets the jump on him and kills Kincaid in the dream, thereby killing him in real life. And when he strikes the death blow, Freddy says, one down, two to go, implying that he intends to kill Joey and Kristen next. Hey, what what brought uh, Freddy back here? His dog, Kincaid's dog, peed fire on the dirt in the junkyard where Freddy was buried in Dream Warriors. So that's and, what did it? This <laughs> seemed to revive <laughs> dog Freddy. pee. This was Rennie Harlan's idea to have this be how Freddy came back oh, to life. I didn't realize those two things were related. I just thought the dog peed and like this is like a kind of scary visual or something. But yeah, that, and you know, and that's a good question. They may not be related because really, you know, Freddy says at some point in this movie, "I'm eternal." Like, right? They they didn't actually beat him, so I think without dog fire pee or not. <laughs> he probably would have come back. But I think yeah. it looks really cool when Freddy's like reassembling himself. That part was fun. Yeah. That was cool. And yeah. some of the effects in the junkyard are cool. And there's a fun aerial shot of like we zoom out of Kincaid and you see that the junkyard is endless. It just right. keeps going and going. Yeah. Yeah. That was a really cool setting. And uh, we saw this junkyard in the last film, right? Yeah. Right. It's where they buried Freddy's actual remains. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah, this is a cool way to come back, but yeah, just uh, I was I was wondering what brought him back, but outside of that, like yeah, the the the, the sequence was fun. Yeah, I think my only beef with it was we had that aerial shot where like oh the junkyard is endless, and then when we cut back to Kincaid, Freddy's already got him like in his grip and stabs him, so it's kind of robbed yeah. of some suspense there. It's just a, a yeah. weird edit. I think that that happens with a few kills in this movie, where yeah. uh, you don't see the actual kill happen, or like yeah, he's. They, they were kind of rushed through it with the editing. 
this movie has some rushed half-ass kills, but it also has some incredible kills, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, exactly. Um, Joey also has a dream that night about the pinup girl on his wall. He's laying in his waterbed and then pulls the covers down to realize that the pinup girl is inside the waterbed, which is apparently a translucent waterbed. And she's swimming naked in there and beckons him to join her. Unfortunately, she turns into Freddy. Freddy, like, claws up and pulls Joey into the waterbed, and we see the water, you know, become blood. Um, this one was similar in that it, it, it was a creative situation and a cool idea, but it lacked suspense and just got right to the point. It's just, yep. the beginning of this film felt like, okay, we're taking out all the Dream Warriors and we're doing it fast. Right, yeah, it is pretty Russian quick, yeah. But I, I liked the concept, though, and, like, the visual of him, like, trapped in his mattress. Yeah, I do, like, too. Cool. And then his mom finds him later, a few yeah. scenes later, like, trapped in his mattress. It was, it right. was cool. Yeah. And, and we get the line from Freddy, how's this for a wet dream? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you like these uh, puns and, and these uh, jokes along the way? Not particularly, but they're just part of Freddy. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Kristen is terrified and heartbroken the next day at school when she realizes that neither Joey nor Kincaid showed up for school that day, so she, you know, assumes the worst. She knows what happened. Meanwhile, back in some earlier scenes, we have met some other characters, including Alice, who will end up being the new main character of the film. She, We learn she's close with her brother, Rick, and the two of them rely on each other as their mother is no longer alive and their father is an alcoholic and unkind to both of them. Rick is big into karate, and he is dating Kristen, so the three of them are all kind of in the same friend group, along with the rest of our characters. We've got Sheila, who's the studious one, who also suffers from asthma. There's Debbie, who's the gym rat and strongly dislikes bugs. <laughs> they all have these like little things about yeah. them that will come into play later. Exactly. There's <laughs> like two things you gotta know. Right. That's yeah, all you gotta know is she likes to work out, doesn't yep. like bugs. <laughs> Uh, and then there's the hunky Dan, who Alice has a crush on. And we also got a montage somewhere in there of Rick practicing karate, complete with nunchucks. Those were really all the rage in the 80s and 90s, thanks oh to my God. Teenage karate Mutant Kid. Ninja Turtles. And, oh. Yeah, Karate Kid, too. Yeah. Like, nunchucks were yeah. a big deal. Everyone wanted them. Right, right. Like, r- kids wanted real ones. Yeah, yeah. I think I had, like, the plastic ones from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, I definitely had some plastic ones. Yeah. Hey, what are real ones made out of? Like, do they really hurt when you get hit by one? Uh, Yeah, I would assume so. It looks like they're made out of... I mean, the chain is metal. I don't know if the the ends are metal, too, or, like, a thick, dense wood or what. Yeah, right. But you have to be, like, in pretty close range uh, to do that. I, I just, it doesn't seem like that practical of a weapon. Yeah, you know, it's got like a, <laughs> and I remember in the video game, it was kind of in between, like, it's a similar range to Leo's sword, because, like, you know, you can really swing it out. Yeah. Longer than Raph's size, oh, shorter yeah. shorter than Donatello's bow. Oh, yeah, the bow is longer. But they're, yeah, yeah. they're quick. They are, yeah, so, they're quick. Yeah. Yeah, could he throw them and it would come back to Michelangelo? Oh, good question. I think you could throw them. I don't remember if they would boomerang back. I think you could, like, wrap them around somebody when you oh, threw okay, it. Oh, okay, okay. Boy, I can't remember. Yeah, it'd be fun to get some nunchucks again. Maybe play with those a bit. 
Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> that would be my midlife crisis. Yeah. Something really into nunchucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've just been in the basement. What do you do? Like, buy a new car? Like, <laughs> yeah. Get a jupe? <laughs> no, nunchucks. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's my hobby. Uh, anyway, Kristen is trying to h- explain to her boyfriend Rick and, and some of their friend group, including Alice, that this is all Freddie. Like, Freddie is the reason Joey and Kincaid are dead. And Alice offers her some advice and tries to remember a rhyme about dreams that her mother taught her. And Kristen asks, like, well, how do you know so much about dreams? And Alice responds, well, when it's all you have, you kind of become an expert. <laughs> and so we're painting the picture of what Alice's life is like. Yeah. And, and like, we've had some scenes where, like, she visually imagines, like, telling someone off or, like, going up to someone and, like, hitting on them or something. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. She imagines, yeah. like ripping her dad a new one because he's a total dick to her for, like, not having a better dinner on the table. Right. She imagines, yeah, just being super charming and hitting on Dan. Yeah. Uh, did you She's like, a big daydreamer. Yeah, exactly. Did you like these characters? You know, the acting isn't very strong in this movie, but mm. I like Alice as a character, and I appreciate the the picture they paint of their home life and it fits in well with the themes from the other movies, especially the first one, where the the grown-ups are no help at all. Like, you can't trust them. They don't understand. And a lot of the characters just have, like, kind of a, a broken home life. Yeah. Even if it doesn't seem like they they would. But, yeah, yeah I, I think we go, go about that theme well and connecting this to the themes of the franchise with the... A dad who's just a jerk. Right, yeah. That's a really interesting theme of the whole franchise. And I'm never sure, because, like, there's, like, that generational aspect that, like, Freddy's a result of, like, the actions of their parents. And uh, I never feel like they uh, nail, like, uh, the points of that uh, theme versus just calling out, like, these are things the main characters are dealing with. Um, and then, yeah, Alice, I, I just feel like is super dull. Uh, but I, I think it's purposeful to, like, make her like character arc like towards the end like uh feel more uh emphasized probably but i just feel like she was over the top and like how boring of a person she is yeah that was the goal to like have this like unassuming shy girl become the heroine in the end but i hear what you're saying i think the i think this the dialogue and the performance really don't allow much room for these characters to shine as much as they could sure yeah yeah that makes sense um, so yeah, some some of the friends aren't really sure like what to make of Kristen's reasoning and this whole Freddy Krueger thing. Her mother definitely doesn't believe her and slips a sleeping pill into her drink because she hasn't been sleeping enough. And Kristen screams at her, you just murdered me. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't the mom say, like, we worked on this in therapy or something? Yeah, or so something? she's like, you just murdered me. Take that to your goddamn therapy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and when Kristen falls asleep... Uh, she dreams she's on a beach, but there is a shark fin approaching shore that morphs into Freddy's glove. Uh, and this is where we get a little, what's well, a common gif of Freddy putting on sunglasses. This oh. happens in this scene. That's where this is from? Yeah, yeah, oh. Freddy on the beach. Yeah, interesting. He forces Kristen into some quicksand, and she's buried in that, but falls out the other side and ends up in Nancy's house in the basement boiler room. He throws Kristen into the boiler, but not before Kristen calls Alice for help, which sucks Alice into the dream. And she's kind of apologetic, like, oh, I, like, I didn't mean to call you into the dream. 
And when Freddy sees Alex, Alice show up, he says, how sweet, fresh meat. Mm-hmm. And Kristen, as she's dying, says, Alice, you'll need my powers. <laughs> and fires them from her hand into Alice like a laser. But in between her hand and Alice, they hit Freddy first and kind of go through him and then into Alice. Oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah, and we we can talk about what that might mean and how that works for the mechanics of the film. Okay. Alice wakes up and knows Kristen is in danger from the dream, and she goes to her house, and her and her mother find her in her bedroom with the entire bed on fire with Kristen burning uh, on top of it. After this tragedy, Alice grapples with the fact that she saw this happen in the dream. She also realizes that it feels like a part of Kristen is with her. She even goes to smoke a cigarette and then catches herself and says, wait, I don't smoke. <laughs> yeah. And then she also like uses the same line, like, oh, we have the same baggage. Yes. Uh, right, right. To someone right. else. Uh, to, like the bags under somebody's eyes. Yeah. Yeah. I like that line. That's a good line. Yeah. I think, I think she said we have the same luggage. Oh, yeah. We have the same luggage. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly what it is. Uh, I was a little surprised they killed uh, Kristen off so quickly. It's like a main character from the last film. I, I assumed she would be the main character throughout this film as well. Yeah, I'm kind of uh, glad that they did. I, it kind of makes sense to me of just with the plot of this movie. It, it makes sense how they approached it. Passing the baton. Yeah. Also, if no offense to Tuesday night, I think she did a fine job. But had it been Patricia Arquette again, I might have wanted to see her become the new final girl for a few movies, but, you know, since they couldn't get her back, I, I took the sting out of losing that character. Sure, sure, since away. it's not the same actress. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess, yeah, it, to, to me, uh, I didn't see Alice becoming a main character because she was such a dull person. So I was, I was just surprised, like, oh, this we're, we're veering now, and, and it's, like, grounding into her now. Sure, well, yeah, heads up, buddy, because she's the main character of the next one, too. <laughs> Damn, <laughs> hopefully she's got more of a personality in that one. I think uh, I think she her performance is a bit better in that one, from what okay. I remember. Okay. Uh, so Alice also realizes that when she falls asleep, as she does in class one day, that Freddy can use her to get to other kids by bringing them into her dreams. I think since the Kristen power transfer went through both of them, Freddy and Alice, that Alice can bring people into her dreams, but Freddy now can too. He can bring people into Alice's dreams. Huh. I don't know if I, yeah, I didn't know if Freddy could do that. I thought, cause I thought later he's asking Alice, like, uh, bring me someone else or something. Like he's like telling her, like, it's her job to recruit people into her dreams, like to take him to like other, uh, of her friends that he can then, uh, attack and conquer. Yeah. But she like never calls them into the dream like Kristen does. Ah, that's true. That's true. I, I think basically when she falls asleep, like basically he's like, fall asleep so you can bring me somebody. Hmm. I think when she falls asleep, Freddy can use that opportunity to bring someone into her dream. But I'm oh. not sure. I, I feel yeah. like there has to be some significance to the powers going through him first. Right. Yeah. And I don't know how she brings these people into her dreams without like purposely Like calling it. them. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Could, could be the Freddy... Uh, DNA in there. Yeah, I'm sure Big Turkey could could share his theory too. Yeah, well, I mean, have we established what a Dream Master is yet? Because uh, I know, like, at one point, a professor is like trying to explain like a Dream Master is someone who sits in the dream and like guards you from good and like directs you between good and bad dreams or something. Like, is is someone a Dream Master here? 
Yeah, I didn't quite catch that. <laughs> I think that she is the dream master, but there's also like a, a bad dream master or something. I, I got a little lost in yeah. in the producer, Robert Shea, who was the teacher there, his explanation sure. of Aristotle's interpretation of dreams. But Yeah, that's not a big deal. It's just the title of the movie. That's what right. I need to fully understand. <laughs> Can gloss over the understanding of what that is. Did you understand it? Not at all. Man. It yeah. Makes no sense. Yeah. I, I mean, I had the idea in that earlier conversation with Kristen and Alice that maybe Alice had like some kind of dreaming uh, trick uh, or like power that she picked up from her mother, but it didn't sound like it. It just sounded like something really basic, like, oh, if you want to have a nice dream, just dream about a place you want to hang out in. Like, something super generic, which doesn't count as a power, right? Well, yeah, probably not. But she also has, like, a rhyme that she couldn't quite remember from her mother that will come <laughs> into play in the end. Oh, okay, okay. Got it. Um, but, yeah, it's kind of a half-assed, like, this movie does a few things that tries tries to flesh things out more, but it doesn't really work. Yeah. Um, but that was kind of a little nod to Lynn Shea being the teacher in the first film. Her brother, Robert Shea, is the teacher oh. in this film. Oh, cool. I didn't know that. Uh, so let's see. Anyway, she falls asleep in class, and that allows Freddie to access her friend Sheila. So Sheila finds herself in the dream, and Freddie grabs her, kisses her, and sucks the life out of her until she's all shriveled up. And this presents itself in real life as an asthma attack because Sheila's asthmatic and Sheila dies in the classroom. What did you think of that kill and how that looked when Sheila kind of became a shriveled up? I thought that looked really cool. This is like, I feel like this is where Freddy Krueger shines. It's like he's this dude who's been killed, I think, in a boiler room of a school, right? Yeah. So it's cool to see him in a classroom. Like that, that seems like a, a natural place you want to put this kind of character, like haunt this school potentially. And then it's playing on her fear of like failing because like she's looking at this exam and the numbers are like starting to move all over the place. And then, yeah, the, the effects on her when uh, he does that, I, th- I thought looks really good. And that was just like a really cool scene uh, of, of how he kills her. Uh, what did you think? I love how they incorporate things that would happen in like actual nightmares into the nightmares. Yeah. Like, yeah, she's really smart and studious, so it would be her nightmare that, like, she can't read the test and she can't figure it out. I love when they do stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, kind of place, like, what scares these people. Yeah, and I thought it did look good when she, she got her life force sucked out of her, a la <laughs> life force. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm a fan. Yeah, great scene. Yeah. Uh, so let's see. Uh, what's happening next? The next one to go... Oh, I forgot. There's this weird like robot arm that comes out of the desk and grabs Sheila. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and in the documentary, Rennie Harlan was like, yeah, I don't know what I was thinking there. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know why we did that. Yeah. It kind of th- makes no sense. Yeah, I thought it was like pointing to... Because uh, she was like pretty uh, advanced when it came to like science skills. She made some like devices. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I thought maybe it was like something familiar to her. Right. And unique, unique to her character. Um, so the next person to fall at the hands of Freddy is Alice's brother, Rick, who finds himself in a dojo in a dream, fighting an invisible Freddy using karate. Uh, but Freddy's disembodied glove floats through the air and stabs Rick through the stomach. What did you think of this kill? This is maybe the weakest one in the movie? Yeah, this was nonsense, man. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, I feel like it was, it was rushed and like, uh, yeah, just trying to play up the karate angle, which people are really into then and doesn't really hold up. 
yeah, th- not that interesting. And uh, the fact that like he could like beat up Freddy for a little bit before like the glove kills him. Like, uh, I, is that possible? Right. Like, it, I, I think the this film's use of karate and physical violence against Freddy. It just doesn't quite make sense. Right. Like, Freddy yeah. can do almost anything. <laughs> exactly. You're in his dream, right? It's like yeah, a, right. It's so like, like, what's it going to do to punch him in the head? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, kind of dumb. But you, you agree? Agreed. It's, so, this original kill was supposed to happen in an elevator. And there is a brief moment where he's in an elevator and then, like, kind of falls into the dojo setting. Right. But that elevator was supposed to kind of just fall apart and disappear and then... Rick was going to, like, fall through nothingness. Oh. I don't know entirely how that kill was going to work, but they ran out of money to do what they wanted to do there, and they came up mm. with this dojo scene. Wow, I see, I see. Got it. <laughs> Which, like, props for tying it to his love of karate, but right. not a good kill. Yeah, yeah, not, not, not a standout at all. Uh, there's also a really weird thing here where uh, the window in the classroom that Alice is in suddenly, like, blows out when she realizes... Uh, that her brother has been killed, but there's no ex- explanation for that. Oh yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that was part of her dream. Yeah, because she she sees it right when people get killed by Freddy, and she like wakes up in a classroom like screaming, and then like this window just like explodes, and then we're suddenly at his funeral. Then, mm, yeah, I couldn't tell you what that was about. There's a few things in this movie where I'm just like, wait, what? Yeah, and there's same. all like it's kind of nightmare logic, so some things don't need a reason, right? But then some of that kind of bleeds into like what's actually happening in the movie, and you're like, wait, yeah, is, that, is it okay <laughs> that that doesn't make sense? Exactly, shouldn't reality make sense here? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, we're learning along the way here that Alice gains a piece of everyone who dies at the hands of Freddy, and so we now see her get a nunchuck montage of her own, where we're like, okay, she learned some karate skills when Rick died. Um, one of these scenes where you can tell like the body double is not her at all. <laughs> They've got oh. a totally different color, different hair, and, like when they show her from the back doing the nunchucks. Yeah. Um, in the next death, death scene, Alice falls asleep and goes into a movie theater, and she gets sucked into the movie. And I thought that looked really good for 1988. It's like they... yeah. They had some sort of set where she was like gravity was pulling her down. So she's like hanging onto her seat as it's sucking her in and her feet are flailing through the air. Yeah. She turns like into this black and white movie. Yeah. 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 Really cool looking. Yeah. And she meets herself as an old woman still working at a waitress at the the diner that she works at. Um, Someone earlier in the film was like, are you going to work here forever? So it is like a legit nightmare for her. Right. Freddy's there at the diner and he orders a pizza that is topped with the souls of those he's killed. And he says something about soul food and we see him like poke his blade into like this little meatball of a soul. Yeah. And this allows Freddy to access Debbie since since <laughs> this was weird to me too because it's like she wasn't even like asleep <laughs> a sleeper in the room so he sucked Debbie and Alice's dream. It was weird to me. Like, who fell asleep when? Or was did Debbie even need to be asleep? They made it seem like maybe she fell asleep lifting weights, hmm. like on the weight bench. But yeah, but, but like Sheila didn't fall asleep either during the test, right? She wouldn't have fallen asleep as a student. Oh yeah, you're right. So yeah. I think they can get sucked into the dream even when they're awake. 
Maybe that's Which, the Dream Master part, is you can like uh, suck people in even if that are awake. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. This this movie has some some logic that is questionable. Yeah, definitely. But anyway, Debbie is at home lifting weights, and, and you know, somehow it's involved in the dream, or uh, Freddie can access her. So Freddie pushes the barbell down as Debbie is bench pressing, which snaps her arms in half at the elbow. And her arms slough off, and suddenly insect legs protrude from her arm sockets. She's turning into a giant bug. She enters a roach motel and gets stuck to the flypaper. Her face gets stuck to the flypaper, and as she peels it off, her face gets peeled off with, like, to reveal insect mandibles beneath. And she's almost fully a bug at this point. And we see Freddy's giant eye as he peers into the roach motel, which he's holding in his hand. And he says, you can check in, but you can't check out, and squashes the Roach Motel in his hand. It's goop flies everywhere, and Debbie is killed. What did you think of this kill? I, this is one of the best kills in the film, like uh, practical effect-wise. looked amazing. Reminded me kind of a bit, like a, the fly a little bit. Someone like slowly, yeah, yeah to become, becoming a bug. And uh, yeah, gross. Uh, and, and nice playback to like a, a bug that she was scared of earlier. Uh, so yeah, I, I thought this was like a standout kill for sure. What, what did you think? Agree, man. I think I put it on my top five kills of all time list. Oh, really? Pretty high up there. Okay. Nice. It is incredible. Just the the effects are amazing. It looks so good, and it's just that's it. To me, it's the beauty of what makes this franchise special. That in a Jason kill or a Michael Myers kill, it's like you can do something cool, but it's essentially just some act of violence yeah. in an elaborate way. But this is just, this franchise allows you to be imaginative and creative. So it's just so wacky. She has a nightmare that she turns into a bug. Then she gets stuck in a roach motel and her skin's like coming off, stuck to the flypaper. And then she gets squashed. Like, in what movie would you ever see something (laughs) like that? And that's where maybe that fantasy element comes in, even though it's not what I typically associate with the word fantasy. Like... It allows you to do whatever you want. Yeah. Do you think it's like splat sticky? Um, no, I actually thought this was kind of horrifying. I mean, it it kind of is because, you know, he squeezes the roach motel and goop flies everywhere. So, yeah, a little bit. But yeah, but yeah, it's definitely scary. Uh, I do think it's kind of scary. It's one of the only moments in this film that's kind of scary to me. Right. Right. Which is it's weird. Like it's like this character that we barely hung out with. And like right. she's getting like this like pretty stretch. This is probably like the longest kill too out of like the, what we've seen so far. Right. Yeah. This is the most drawn out kill, and it's enhanced by this cross cutting to Alice and Dan, who are trying to get to Debbie's house in Dan's truck, but they are stuck in like an infinite loop, where Alice just keeps running out of the diner to get into Dan's truck. They drive for a while, and then they're right back to start. She runs out of the diner again, and then he like eventually says what she's going to say to him at the same time, and they realize they're stuck in a loop. That was really cool. That was cool, too. Again, bringing elements of what can actually happen in people's dreams into the movie. Like It's like a thing where you're running forever and don't get anywhere. Right, right. But, uh, yeah, I was really confused here. So was your interpretation that they're asleep, or one of them or both of them are sleeping, and that's why uh, they're, they're stuck in a dream where they're trying to get to their friend, but it keeps going in a loop? Yeah, that's where it gets weird. I think maybe Alice was still in a dream, and so she brought Dan in. This is where it gets really confusing, because you don't... 
you don't know what's real and what's not. So my theory is she's still dreaming. She's brought Dan into her dream, but she, he doesn't know he's in a dream. Hmm. And then uh, eventually they hit Freddie with their car. Right. And it crashes. But that's real because he's got to go to the hospital. Exactly. So maybe he was driving in real life. And I don't know. That's where I'm just like, <laughs> what's happening? <laughs> and she was just sleepwalking. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think you're like the, the, the lines get pretty blurry between like what's yeah. real and what's like uh, yeah in the dreams. Agreed. And I don't know that New Line really cares. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I get that sense throughout this whole movie. Like, I don't think anyone really cares too much about, uh, yeah, the logic in this film. Like, they, I don't know if they understood the homework assignment. Yeah, I I think they did, but they understood the homer, homework assignment in terms of, like, we need a wisecracking Freddy with elaborate kills, and we need a hero that the audience can identify with. That's it. Like, I don't think they were too (laughs) attached to, like, logic or anything. Although it's funny, whenever Robert Englund is interviewed, he'll always find some, like, intellectual reasoning and justification for what happened in the movie where it's Uh kind of like, you're giving this whole thing too much credit. Like, he talked about the hound, like, oh, yeah, like a hell, like a hound from hell. That makes sense with the peeing of fire. <laughs> does it? <laughs> That's a good good reach. I like that. <laughs> yeah, he, he does a lot good of that. Him. Yeah, um, yeah, I don't know, man. Yeah, I, I was losing uh, it a little bit on the plot here, but uh, yeah, I, I think you're right like that. That wasn't like the focus. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But I, I thought that element was really cool of them being in the loop. Yeah, the, yeah, that was cool. That was, that was really neat. Because at first I was like, whoa, uh, is that like a, a glitch in like the streaming service I was using? Like, well, I think I already saw that part. Uh, but yeah, by the time they did it the third time, it was like, oh, they're doing this on purpose. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Yeah. But yeah, so anyway, Freddy's in the middle of the road. They hit him with the, the truck. And Dan is rushed to emergency surgery. And Alice arms herself with trinkets from all of her friends who have died and faces off with Freddy in the dream world, armed with all their powers and knowledge. The confrontation happens in an old church and largely happens via karate uh, that Alice now has skills in since her brother Rick died. Lots of flips and handsprings and stuff. And she kind of like zaps him with some weapon that looks a little bit like that robot arm, like something she invented with the technology from... I think I think Sheila had invented it and she took it from Sheila, but I'm not sure what it was. Okay, all right, yeah. Maybe that makes more sense. Um but anyway, she, she's realizing none of this is going to kill Freddy, especially after she like zaps him and blows apart his stomach and it heals. And he's like, I'm, I'm immortal. And she remembers the last line of that rhyme about dreams that her mother taught her. And it's something like, evil will see itself and it shall die. And with this newfound knowledge, she picks up a broken piece of stained glass and holds it up so Freddy can see his reflection. And with this, Freddy's knocked backwards and pinned against a wall arms emerge from his body as the souls of those he has killed are fighting to get out of them and did you notice the boobs that were like pressed right up against yeah. his skin that was Linnea Quigley from <laughs> no Night way. of the Demon yeah <laughs> they brought her Night they brought of her Demons Return of the Demon yeah it was, it's a boob cameo essentially <laughs> are you serious yeah, yeah oh wow She. the only thing that appears in the movie are her boobs well you recognize hey is that Linnea Quigley there? <laughs> 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 Damn. I'd know those boobs even if they were trapped inside of a dream demon trying exactly. to escape. <laughs> I'd recognize this. But yeah, no, it's, it's, you know, it's in the credits and it's in the documentary. Wow. 
But yeah, I that's one thing where I always wonder, like not to be crude, but how things like that work in a movie and professional setting where you just call somebody up and like, hey, like we need boobs in this movie and we know you've shown your boobs in other movies. Yeah. Would you like to show your boobs in our movie? Like, yeah. That's, it's an awkward thing. Yeah, that's got to be an awkward call. Uh, yeah, I don't know how that goes down either. Yeah. Um, with hey. this... Oh. Oh. Uh, my interpretation here is he saw a reflection of himself and how stupid he looks in that hat. And <laughs> that caused nice. him to die. Is that is that what I, is that your takeaway? As yeah, well? yeah. He realizes yeah. he made the wrong choice at the hat <laughs> yeah. store. And this hat with this sweater, this with whole the time. Remorse. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I've looked like an idiot this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't somebody tell me? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, he eventually explodes, and the souls escape from his body, thanking Alice on their way out. Is there? Incorporeal, incorporeal. How do you pronounce that word? I'm not. I'm asking the wrong guy. Yeah, I never heard that word. Their ghostly forms fly over her head, and are like, "Thank you." And the film ends happily ever after with Alice and Dan, who has survived the car accident. They're walking hand in hand, uh, but an ominous pall is cast when Alice thinks she sees Freddie's reflection in the water of a fountain that she's sitting next to. But. Everything seems okay for now. The credits roll. We get a Freddy rap in the credits. <laughs> Wait, yeah, I did not... watch this on HBO Max because then I complained to them. I tweeted them that the credits were black without any words. Did that ha- happen for you? Uh, I, I, I turned it off the credits, but what, you wrote a letter to HBO Max? I did <laughs> via, via Twitter or X. Oh, they also had the description. The plot description was for the fifth movie. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Good call out. Glad, no glad people like you are out there, yeah, calling out. Right? <laughs> because you just... I'm sure they immediately took action. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, the HBO executives there. <laughs> Our most important release, <laughs> A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, exactly. has an issue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're probably surprised because the plot makes so much sense. Yeah. <laughs> Who fucking cares? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, what did you think of this movie, man? Uh, yeah, I think that the plot holes in this were, were like, too big for me. I, I think you called it out, like, the, some of the kills were really cool, and the effects on those kills were really great, but I, I think those are the only strengths. There's just so much, like, uh, setups of things uh, that just they never followed through on, through on like, uh, yeah, like, what brought Freddy back? Why was she absorbing other people's powers? Uh, what was going on with her and her dad? Uh, and then Freddy Krueger, I feel like, yeah, the, the issue I've always had with him, like, uh, the, someone who kills people and then delivers like these like one-liners, uh, and wears a hat just like, doesn't seem like that scared me, especially when you think about who his character is supposed to be is like this creeper who molested a bunch of kids. And, uh, he, he, there's just so much potential. This guy should, could have been like way scarier and way more evil and like done way more twisted things like in in this basement of a, of a school and like just haunt people in the school. I, I just feel like it's wasted. On, on this Joker of a character instead. So, uh, yeah, I feel like it has a lot of the weaknesses of their earlier films and then a plot that's also just kind of nonsensical. But what about you? What, do, what did you think? Hold, please. I'm going to go find your rating on Dream Warriors because I want to know what... Yeah, I, I got to think I was in the threes on that one. Like, that one, uh, I remember, like, liking the direction they were going in with these characters having some powers and, and like, being able to fight him in, in this dream world. Yeah, you gave it a three and a half. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about okay. right. Okay, all right. So the story where you're down on the franchise isn't 
fully true, but in general, I think you kind of are. Yeah, yeah, not, not a huge fan of the franchise so far. And it's mostly because I, I think Freddy is, is like, Miss, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you can't have, like, a zany, scary character. Like, sure. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's just those things seem, like, in opposition to one another. But yeah. What, what about you? That that doesn't bother you at all? It, I mean, it, it it doesn't become scary for any for me anymore. I just I like the inventiveness and the creativity of these movies and and what they can do and that there seems to be no bounds and no rules. Like I do think the logic is lacking here and the plot is convoluted, but I am willing to forgive it with these type of movies just because there's the whole dream logic and mm. what's real anyway. I don't think it should give you an excuse to not make, not button up the plot and make it work. Um, So I agree that that's a weakness of this movie. The plot is convoluted. Yeah, Um, and and with this franchise, like I feel like you're you're right in the the dream world. Yeah, do whatever you want. You don't have to follow any logic there. You can be as like, uh, yeah, nonsensical as you want. But uh, I've always kind of held like the when they're back in the real world, like there should be like that dynamic of like this is real stuff going on, and in this one, like kind of just kind of forgets that in the third act. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think the third act, especially, it's like, what is a, what's a dream and what's a, what's really happening? Right, right, exactly. I, I, I think some of that could be advantageous because you're like, well, wait, like sometimes in a dream you're not sure what's real or what's a dream, and they the movies all use that, you know, to an effect at some point, yeah. like as as a tool. Like she thinks this is real, but it's just a dream. Yeah. But when it starts to become like. It's confusing for the viewer to the point where you're like, I, I don't even know if the last 20 minutes was a dream or not. Right. Then I think it's starting to get a little sloppy. Has that, I remember the first one kind of ends in that way where you're not sure, like you think you're in reality, but it's a, it's probably still a dream. Yeah, um, I think the ending of the first one's kind of up for interpretation. Do you remember the second, third one uh, kind of follow that same trend? They have moments like that for sure. Okay. But I think the second one more than the third one. Yeah, yeah. I guess the third I guess, one has a bit more clear delineations, from what I remember. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, yeah, I, I really like that the third one felt like cohesive, like storyline and everything. But this one kind of falls apart. But I, I hear what you're saying. Like that, that's kind of cool to play to that aspect of a dream as well, of, sure. of like not uh, the blurred lines in between reality and, and the dream world. Um, and then I, I had an issue with the uh, the two characters we end up with at the end. Like these characters. I mean, Alice says Alice like kind of becomes interesting towards the end as as she's like gaining other people's personality uh, and in power. Um, but Dan, like, uh, was that his name, Dan? Dan, yeah, yeah. He, he was just like a stand-in like hunk that like had like no real reason. But uh, yeah, I don't I don't know where he came from or like what his motivation was to be a part of this plot. Like he didn't even seem like a part of the core friend group. But he just like kind of helps Alice for some reason towards the second half. Yeah, uh, the whole focus on which characters and how much is a mess. It's just I think a function of having to include the three dream warriors, give them mm-hmm. enough screen time to make them matter, and then immediately kill them off. Which it kind of makes everything involving characters feel rushed. Yeah, like, yeah. Nobody gets enough attention. I'll, I think. I do think Alice and Rick get enough attention and like we get the dynamics of their home life and him comforting her. Yeah. I think they they give care there and I appreciate sure. that. Yeah, I can tell were they were they twins or something like uh, were they in the same grade or was was one of them older than the other? I don't know. Could could have been Irish twins. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. 
But yeah, I think that that's what mattered, that those two were developed, although Rick eventually goes, which yeah. is good in a way because we can experience that loss with Alice. Yeah, I agree, though. Dan just, we could have known more about him or even had more reason for like, wait, why is he even in the film? Like, right. didn't seem like he was really part of their friend group. Yeah, and uh, going back to the continuity that we talked about with like the Evil Dead franchise, like you don't think uh, in this film, sticking with those three characters from the previous film uh, and building the story out more around them would have made for a stronger film versus like cutting those two out so early and then the third one pretty uh, quickly as well. I mean, I think it could. I'm not saying it couldn't have worked, but I don't feel as attached to that idea for this one because the franchise has just pretty much continually been a new set of characters each time. Like, sure. yes, Nancy was in the third one as well, but she wasn't really at the focus. It's always like a new group of kids. Mm-hmm. So I was fine with just continuing to go down that route. Keep, like, switching up the cast. Yeah. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. I mean, you yeah. kind of have to because they all end up <laughs> having to die. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. That's true. Uh, what about you? What, what did you like or not like about this film? I, you know, I, I have some of the same observations as you. The, the plot's kind of con- convoluted. It doesn't bother me that Freddy's not pers- particularly scary, but I think that there's just tons of cool kills and or set pieces that keep the film exciting. Like even when Alice gets sucked into the movie, for example, that's not a kill, yeah, but it's exciting and interesting and imaginative the the movie just has this whole atmosphere of like it's bizarre and surreal and anything can happen and I just love that about these movies mm-hmm. but I do think you know the kills at the beginning were rushed there are some weak kills the acting is okay not great I will say that I think it's shot really well I don't think it could have been easy to capture all the zany things that were happening in this movie so as convoluted as the plot may seem, I think it's a miracle that the movie makes any sense at all, mm. <laughs> especially just kind of making sense of, okay, we're going to do a scene where a woman turns into a bug, walks into a roach motel, gets stuck in the roach motel, then uh, Freddy's <laughs> giant eye is looking in because he's a giant and or she's just small now and then he squishes it. Like, for that to work, you've got to have, like, I feel like the talented cinematographer, director, and editor mm. at the wheel. Like, there has to be some sort of steady hand on the wheel to make those things work. To make those scenes work, right? Yeah. 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 So I respect the movie for that. I, I think they really nailed those aspects. And yep. I think that's where Rennie Harlan's strengths probably were as a director. Yeah, I feel like individually, uh, her going into the screen, the classroom scene, the uh, cockroach scene, like individually, those work as like great like set pieces and like well executed. But yes. uh, tied to the storyline, though, it's like those two are great ideas. They execute well on those, but they don't make any sense in the context of the story because, uh, yeah, it was none of them. They weren't asleep the whole time, and like the the fear in part one, two, and three is like don't fall asleep, don't fall asleep. You have these kids who are like neurotic the whole time about trying to stay awake. But here you've got like two characters are like interesting things happening, but have nothing to do with the characters even being asleep or not. So it's like great concepts, but it doesn't fit the movie at all. Um, yeah, I, I mean, agree and disagree. You also have that responsibility then being put on Alice. At one point she says, I can't sleep, someone might die. 
So whereas the first film and the third film were like everyone's trying to stay awake, hmm. no one's kind of really believing this is happening and it's all on Alice. Like, I can't sleep because someone else is going to die. Oh, got it. And, and that gives her more responsibility. It helps her feel like a more important main character. The stakes feel higher. She's got something to lose. Hmm. I, I think it helps. Like, even though her performance... It's it's fine, but had it been stronger and had her dialogue been stronger, she would have felt like a stronger character. But I do think that the story itself serves her as a character pretty well. Like, hmm. they, they, she has an arc, she has responsibilities, she has stakes, she has to make decisions, and and you know, yeah, she experiences right. loss. A, a lot happens to her. Like. Yeah, she's sure. a good character. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess. I, I guess they. I like that they go places with her. Like they, she's not at the end of the movie. She's a much different person than she was at the beginning of the movie, and uh, that, that that that's pretty cool. And like, yeah, she plays like a direct role in bringing Freddie down. Uh, so yeah, that, that's cool. So I, you know, I, I don't think I tied that together. That uh, every time she, it was her falling asleep that would kill Debbie and Sheila. Then right, that, yeah, yeah, because oh, that was okay. the only way Freddie could. Basically, the whole thing is like he just wanted to kill off the the last children of Elm Street. He had no way to access other kids, essentially. But when she brought Alice into the dream, he was like, oh, here's another kid I can kill. Like, oh, but now I've got the powers to kill people who get sucked into her dreams or and or maybe I can suck people into her dreams. So uh, now I can who, kill a whole yeah. new crop of kids and she is my my key. And that's why I don't kill her because yeah she is my you know the path yeah but actually through her he can kill people who aren't even asleep then right it seems like it yeah because were, were any of those characters asleep was sheila debbie or rick ricky asleep it didn't seem like it yeah i don't think so i think uh he was just chilling in the toilet and uh suddenly things went down yeah that's, that's, as, that's as they do in the toilet yeah exactly yeah that, that's that's fascinating uh, aspect and I, I wonder what gave them the power and maybe it is what you're saying like the the, the force that uh Kristen threw through uh that went through Freddie and then to her brought it into the real world that's kind of cool in part two he, he's also in the real world right he, he shows up at a pool party <laughs> yeah <laughs> right yeah he's very real at the pool party yeah, yeah. So uh, that's kind of cool in these in these uh, movies how he kind of uh, sometimes bounces back and yeah, they kind of they bend the rules. Yeah, and I, I guess got to swing with that, that that punch every now and then. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you think Freddy is a stand-in for like uh, drug addiction uh, at all? Like where he's using one person to like bring in others uh, and to kill them? Huh. Like the way. Yeah, Boy, yeah. that that would be a that's an interesting theory. Yeah, because like, like think he's that like saying, through. But he's like saying, "Bring me your friends and stuff," and then and then he kills them basically. Uh, yeah, and, and like playing off. I don't know if that's like peer pressure or anything, but uh, some way of like getting to your friends uh, through one person. Uh, I don't know. You know, you think that's a stretch? Boy, it, it might be a stretch, but that's interesting. And then like you know. A drug was an important part of the last one, like a drug that suppressed dreams. Oh, yeah, right. And so there may have been some cultural feedback about like that and how it presented, you know, popping pills. But yeah, interesting, interesting theory. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. There's a lot going on in the late eighties. Yeah, could for sure. On that. Like I, yeah, I'm just destroying other people like through this one person that was right. like essentially the dealer, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Get your other friends to me, and I'll I'll take care of the rest. Interesting. Yeah, and I mean, Alice had like a a rough home life, and her dad was addicted, and then she lost her brother. Yeah, it would make sense for her to fall into addiction. Right. Right. Uh, what do you think, um, is the role here of like, yeah, in, in the franchise talk about parents and like being really shitty towards these kids and in, in the dad here, like really has a turn, like obviously really shitty towards Alice and Ricky for a while. But then I think after Ricky dies, he becomes very protective of Alice suddenly. So what's, uh, what, what are they going for with like, uh, you know, putting, putting the blame here on, on parents and like how the kids have to deal with like the mess their parents are. Yeah, I mean, I think that's just theme of the franchise. Like, franchise, like these parents, this generation is failing their kids, and you see some of that in Craven's other work. Like, um, oh, like oh, the hills have has the hills have eyes have generational themes, and um, last, last house on house the house left, left, yeah, right. very blatantly does. Yeah. So I think that's a theme. Like this generation has screwed over their kids. They screwed them over when they were little. They're still screwing them over now. Yeah. And maybe they're trying to do what's best for them, but they they don't know what's best for them. Yeah, I like that theme. I, I thought it worked really well in the first one. Uh, I don't feel. I feel like here they kind of touch on it. Like they show Kristen's mother like drugging her, and then uh, this dad kind of like yeah, being pretty abusive. But uh, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't feel like they kind of like rounded out that theme too much. Did, did you did you get enough of that in this film? Of that uh, theme? Yeah, I think so. I think all you need is a touch of it. There's enough going on in this movie to yeah to try too hard to focus on that. But sure. boy, what, I was also thinking more about that drug thing. Like you could think about Sheila like taking drugs to help her study because her oh, dream yeah. is like taking a test. Right. And then Debbie is working out when she dies. She could take drugs steroids. to help. Yeah, steroids. Yeah. And Rick, with his karate, maybe he takes some sort of performance-enhancing drug. Cocaine, obviously. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, <laughs> everyone knows yeah. cocaine and karate go hand-in-hand. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Michelangelo <laughs> yeah, is a exactly. big, big cocaine. <laughs> Cowabunga, dude. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, interesting theory there, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's a wild film. Uh, yeah, that, uh, what, what else you got on it? Uh, I think the only other thing I got is zero to five Roach Motels. What do you give this? Uh, okay, uh, I think I give it two Roach Motels. I, I, I think uh, it's it's very interesting uh, with the kills, great special effects, but I, I feel like overall it lacks like a, a cohesiveness to the storytelling and fails to follow through on some of the interesting ideas it does kind of uh, uh, tease you with. Uh, it doesn't really close out on those or, or what they actually mean. So uh, yeah, I was, I was kind of befuddled at the end and left left with two roach motels how about you i give it 3.5 out of 5 roach motels i think what it lacks in plot or logic it more than makes up for with grandiose set pieces and at least one of the best horror movie deaths of all time the cockroach one yeah yeah i don't know that any other deaths could be contenders for like a best kills list and depending on how big the list got but that cockroach one that's i mean it was in my top five and i think yeah, I don't think no matter how many horror movies I see, I don't think it would be supplanted from the top five very easily. Yeah, they went all out on that one. It was, it was really they really impressive. did. It was very, very creative. Felt like the centerpiece of the movie. It's interesting. Yeah, really. uh, you would give that so much credit, though, like acknowledging that plot 
and in like the cohesiveness is, is kind of weaker but you think those elements stand out enough to overcome that i just think that the the nature of the movie with the dreams and the nightmares and not knowing what's real gives you some wiggle room with how tight the the logic and the the math on the plot needs to be <laughs> yeah i don't know man. i feel like you're writing them like a, a blank check like you can do whatever you want basically and it doesn't you don't have to like follow any rules then no i don't i mean I, that's why i'm not giving it a four or a four and a half it's a weakness for sure but yeah i i think it's just outshined by by the inventiveness of the movie for me okay okay yeah and the fun it's just fun it's a fun film yeah yeah in sure. my mind at least <laughs> these movies always just seem to me like a bunch of sleepy characters because I mean they're, they're acting like they're sleep deprived right yeah so right. Uh, yeah it's, it's, it's always like uh, uh, yeah, yeah I guess it's kind of like even the lighting and the production value feels like kind of dreamlike uh, which yeah for me makes it hard to like bite into the reality of like the horror of what's happening yeah see that's what I really love about it and it um, you know some people may know I did the whole one of our first Patreon episodes was me doing a brief review of every movie in the franchise spoiler free because I binged them all when I was staying up late holding my youngest son when he was an infant so they have like a a unique appeal to me because A I was very sleep deprived and like in a dreamy state when I watched them and B you know just like nostalgia for when he was a baby but sure. I only gave this a three when I watched it then and I'm, I'm, I'm up on it now it's come up to three and a half that's awesome come up to it, three and a half and what did you give the last one Three and a half to Dream Warriors as well. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah, and nice. I think I may have given that to Freddy's Revenge as well, which oh, I okay. believe I originally gave a four or two, hmm. and, and was a little lower on it this time. Yeah, Got I it. don't remember what I gave to that one. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I'm excited to keep working through this franchise. Yeah, me definitely... too. Me too. Yeah. I think that you're not going to like another one again until we get to New Nightmare. Um, yeah. Which is more sincere. And it's scariness. Yeah. And I think you will be one of the few people who likes the 2010 remake. <laughs> I'm so excited. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, yeah. I just feel like uh, the horror is missing here, but in lieu of like fantasy and like, uh, yeah, the, this dreamlike nature. Uh, sure. I get it. I, yeah. I get some people are really into this. Cool. Well, that has been our discussion on A Nightmare on Elm Street for The Dream Master, everybody. If you enjoyed it, you can give us a five star reading on Apple Podcasts five-star rating on apple Podcasts or spotify um if you want to connect with us go to horrormovieclub.com and click on the social links drop down for twitter instagram facebook we post there every week to let you know what we're covering next week there's also a link to discord there where you can join our discord community and chat with other listeners and horror fans uh if you want to support the show horrormovieclub.com has a big orange button to become a patreon member you can support the show for as little as a dollar a month and gain access to a bunch of bonus episodes, both audio and video that are out there. And let's see, our logo is done by Amy May Popart. You can check her out on Etsy.com just by searching Amy May Popart, all one word, to find a whole bunch of great horror art, including a coaster set that has our, our logo on it. Um, and if you use the, the code Movie Club on that, I think you still get a discount. I think that's it so if if until next time if you uh have a superpower make sure it's actually useful before you pass it on to someone else <laughs> and if you do pass it on to that person make sure you've got a clear path between you and your target that, 
it didn't help at all. Like Kristen killed is responsible for everyone's death in this movie. Oh, by passing that power on? Like <laughs> yeah. It, it could have ended there, right? It could have just stopped. Alice could have been killed by Freddy in the dream. Right. And she would have been the last person to die. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know. Imagine that. Yeah. But she fucked up, A, by bringing Alice into the dream, and B, by giving her her power. Their powers, yeah, yeah. I know. It's like a drug, man. You just, it passes on. Yeah. It spreads to the community. There you go. 